0: Okay, been going through the statement of faith, and this will be third week talking about the scriptures, we'll wrap up this morning, um, but uh, it's a wonderful study, it's a necessary study, and it also, also obviously reflects what we believe here, and so let me read the statement and then I'll pray for us, but this is the statement, the first point on our statement of faith that you can find online And it is that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments in their original manuscripts, being directly inspired by God and without error whatsoever, are the only infallible authority for Christian truth and living. So, let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, to be able to open your word and see there that uh, the word itself testifies of its own divinity, its own divine origin. Lord, this is not something we as believers impose on it. This is something that emerges naturally and explicitly in the text. And so, Father, help me to communicate that carefully and accurately for the sake of my brethren here and um, so that we can be confident in your word and stand upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first time we were together, we looked at that. That uh, the label there of holy scriptures, that these scriptures that we have are holy, they are unique, they are set apart. And these scriptures are comprised of an Old and a New Testament. Uh, so we looked a little bit with regard to the Old Testament. We looked at Jesus's view of the Old Testament, which is always a wonderful study and important to realize what Jesus' view of the Old Testament is. And if he has a view of the Old Testament that's scripture and binding, then we should too. And so we saw that through multiple places in the Gospels. And then, with regard to the New Testament, last time we saw that um, Jesus sort of uh, he, he, he predicts that his truth will be remembered and um, continued and developed as he sends the Holy Spirit through his foundational apostles. And these apostles will then teach, write letters that will enshrine for us the teaching of Jesus. And the works of Jesus and those kinds of things. And so we looked at some of those passages that, um, that highlighted that, that the New Testament is indeed scripture. And we looked at some of the underlying rationale for why that's the case. And it's the case because the Messiah has come. He is the prophet that God promised in Deuteronomy 18 that will be like Moses. God will put his words in his mouth and everything that he says, we must listen to him. Transfiguration, here's my son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah fade out. Jesus becomes the supreme revelator now. He becomes the supreme uh, spokesman now for God's word to interpret law and prophets for us, and to carry forward the teaching um, of the new covenant. So, this is this is what we spoke about the last couple of weeks. Um, we are we did touch on original manuscripts a little bit, but today we're going to look by, look at the fact that these scriptures are directly inspired by God without error whatsoever, the only infallible authority for Christian truth and the living. Um, so let's look at some of these passages. So Matthew 5 is where we'll start, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. and again you just from this passage again you can you can grasp Jesus's understanding of the Old Testament. So Matthew 5:17 and 18, right after Jesus says to his disciples that you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, he says that your light should shine. And then he comes to them and says, "Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished." So This passage is um, wonderful for various reasons, and we're going to look at that and specifically how Jesus regards Scripture. But before we look at that, it's interesting that Jesus starts off with, "...do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets." Um a couple of times in the New Testament in the Gospels, Jesus says this. Do not think that I came to bring a sword, or came to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You might think, Jesus is, is sort of um, implying here that, that when I come to this world, because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm a, a meek man, because I'm a, a man of love, certainly a man of truth, you might you might think that I have come to bring peace immediately here, but I did not. I came to bring a sword. And so Jesus wants to keep them from being deceived or led astray or or led to sort of a half-truth. Well, here Jesus says, do not think something as well. And he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. Now, why would Jesus say, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets? Or let me ask it another way. Why would they think? Why would someone think that he has come to abolish the law of the prophets? But why would someone think that he has come to do away with the with the law and the prophets, with the Old Testament? Why would someone potentially think Testament. that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of love. Mm-hmm. I think I'm tracking with you. I think that, I, and we don't have time, this isn't, a, this isn't an exegetical study specifically on all that we can say about 17 and 18. But I think he says, don't think that I've come to abolish a law and the prophets. Because as you watch Jesus' teaching in his life, you might think that. You might think that in what he taught and in what he did, that he had come to overturn the law and the prophets, specifically as, 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 as the law and the prophets record for us the Old Covenant. He comes on and he declares all foods clean. That was a big deal. He comes and an adulterous woman is there. He doesn't say, let's take her to the magistrate to be stoned. right? He, um, he comes and he touches a leper. Um, he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you this. There's, there's all manner of reasons, I think, why Jesus would say, I've come to, you know, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Not to mention the fact of his denouncing the whole nation of Israel. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a big deal. So he, But he wants to be clear, though, that he's not coming to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, what he does not say here is that I've not come to abolish the old covenant. Right? Why? Because he does, does. right, yeah. Because ultimately that's what happens. Um, But he does say... Uh, here something about the law and the prophets so so it's important to know here in matthew five seventeen that law and prophets is not equivalent with the old covenant. Law and the prophets is equivalent to scripture, Old Testament scripture. The old covenant that is the covenant God made with Moses and Israel, that covenant is recorded in the Old Testament scriptures in the law and the prophets, okay, but the law and the prophets also record the creation account, the flood. And so on and so forth. But so Jesus is not saying that, don't think that I've, I've come to abolish the old covenant. He's saying, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. Don't think that I've come to abolish those. I've come to fulfill those. Those law and prophets actually have an anticipation embedded in them. right? They have a, a prediction, a, pr- a prophetic element embedded in them that I personally have come to bring to pass. So the Law and the Prophets, Jesus is saying, were are waiting on me, right? These Law and the Prophets, and, they've, and they're and they waiting on me to come and fulfill. He doesn't say I've come to explain them in their truest meaning. He says I've come to fulfill them, right? He doesn't say that I've particularly come to exegete or give you the spirit of them or anything like that. He says I've come to fulfill them. And, and that's, again, a whole nother several messages that we could say on this. But, but it's important to understand what he's, what he's speaking of. Law and prophets, synonymous with Old Testament scriptures. And what does he say about them? He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, so we're talking the end of the age, until they pass away, these law and prophets or he, will not pass away. And in particular, he says, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, not the smallest letter or stroke in the law in the prophets will be gone until all is accomplished. And again, what I think he's saying here is, I don't think he's saying that the old covenant that's recorded in the Old Testament scriptures is going to be binding in the way it was to Moses and Israel all the way until the, the to the heavens and earth pass away. I think, he, but I think he is saying that the old covenant as contained in the Old Testament scriptures and all the Old Testament scriptures as well, including the creation account and the prophets, all of these things interpreted through the coming of Jesus will have ongoing relevance and binding authority until all passes away, okay? I think that's what he's saying. In other words, again, the law and the prophets, starting with Adam all the way to Malachi, these all have... Anticipations, they all are shadows, they all are types, they're all copies, they're all predictions. All of these things have an embedded uh, anticipation for the Messiah. And everything that they anticipate, from his birth all the way to an establishment of a new heavens and new earth, all of that, every jot, every every little, every little mark, every little punctuation point, all of that um, will be binding. Relevant even on the life of Jesus until the end of the age. And that's his point. Any questions on that? Mm-hmm. Still still well, he's still and, still and still the reason in. I do is because it says heaven and earth are not pass away until blah blah blah. So I think he's looking long term. I think he's saying there's there's lots in the law and the prophets that are that I'm bringing to pass in my own life here, but then also as I continue on in my heavenly ministry. Yeah. I think so, Mm -hmm. yep, so, um, and again, just think of this, okay, scripture, what it says, must be and will be fulfilled, right, the scripture, it's not just what the prophets say, but it's what the, the scriptures record the prophets say, must be fulfilled, and that's true of the law and the prophets, because that's all you have at this time when Jesus is speaking, but it's true for scripture, period. It's all binding. And again, this is this is you get some sense of what Jesus thinks of Scripture here. That it all has a has a has a binding authority on it. All right, so Matthew 15, and again, it's 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 down to the smallest little stroke, he says. Is why we, we don't believe just conceptually the Bible is true. We think, down even to the punctuation and tenses, that it's true and inherent. Matthew 15. All right. Verse, we'll just start in verse 1. Pharisees, so the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So you're talking about Bible answer men of the day, religious elite. Scribes copied scripture, new scripture, frontwards, backwards. So did the Pharisees in in many ways. They come to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they travel to where Jesus is from Jerusalem. And so potentially these guys really are the elite of the elite because they're coming from the capital city. And so they have a question for Jesus and they say this, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And what's the tradition that they claim that he breaks? Well, they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So that's a tradition of the elders. In other words, in the Old Testament, there's nothing that says that every time you eat bread, you got to wash your hands. You know, or, the, or, or you know, that kind of thing. And so Jesus is in, encountering this question. It's, but it's a tradition that the Judaistic leaders impose now it's one of their rungs that they insert on the ladder of god's righteousness they think but it's a tradition and he answered and said to them why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of god for the sake of your tradition so that's sort of a that's a blistering rebuke they're saying why do you neglect the tradition of the elders and jesus says why do you neglect the word of god why do you neglect the commandment of god Let me put a question back on you. I'm not even going to answer you directly. I'm just going to put it back on you. And again, these are the Bible answer men of the day. These are the guys who say, we are Bible guys. We are scripture guys. We are law of God guys. We are God's guys. (laughs) Right? And Jesus says, why do you neglect, or why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And what's his, what's his example? Verse four, for God said, honor your father and mother. Right? That's one of the commandments. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. So there's a, Jesus is saying, look, this is what the Bible says. The Old Testament scriptures are clear on this. You're supposed to honor your parents. And honor your parents means to exalt them, treat them well, respect them, all these things. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. In other words, I'd help you, mom and dad, even though you're old and hard up. But, you know, all the money I've I've had and all the resources I've had, I've, I've given to God. And they, they count that, they think that's spiritual, right? But really, it's just because they're selfish. It's because they're self-righteous. And he says, he, and he says Jesus says, but, but, but you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So they let the tradition end up surpassing and trumping God's explicit command. That's that's what's happening here. Well, they didn't even twist the words. They just took their tradition and replaced the words. They didn't even, I mean, because Jesus is saying, you guys neglect your parents. The scripture is clear, honor your parents, but you neglect them. And so you're making your tradition a higher authority than God's word that says honor your parents. So what does this say about scripture and what God has spoken? Well, it's authoritative over all supposed bases of life and practice and ethics. It is, it is certainly transcendent and supreme and authoritative over the tradition of men, but it's also transcendent and authoritative over all things, over all supposed revelation or, or impulses to believe this or that, over feelings, over experiences, over treasured opinions, over church history, over councils, right over confessions of faith, The scriptures themselves, we have to keep in its right place of supreme authority. We cannot teach as doctrines the precepts of men. We can't. And when you do, you will always breed self-righteousness. Always. Because it's man-made. Always. When you bring them to a place of authoritatively binding, as God's command... Over tradition, or I'm sorry, under tradition, um, or wait, I think I got my anyway, you know what I'm saying. When tradition is higher than the Bible, you'll end up with a self-righteous group.'ll end up, you'll end up with you'll end up with man-made levers and buttons, you know And that's what Jesus is after, and it did. and, it, and what what also happens is when you do that, the bible gets as as isaiah says puts behind your put behind your back you no longer pay attention to what god explicitly says and of course you see this in in various denominations um you see this in the whole catholic church i mean the all of the catholic church has done this the whole of the catholic church has taught as the doctrines of men the commandments of god that's that's what they've done and um, so all right Let's see. John 10:35. <clears throat> John 10:35. Again just looking at the nature of scripture. It's binding relevance, it's authority. It's divine. It's without error. John 10:35. Let's see. Again, Jesus interacting with the Jews here. Verse 32, Jesus answered and said, I show you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? Again, no one talked like Jesus. No, no one's ever spoke like Jesus. Just in that one statement. I mean, it, it is really just amazing. Everything I've done, he says, is from the Father. And they're all good. And so what are you going to stone me for? The, thought, the God that you say you know, I know. And I'm doing good works. and. He just, I mean, it's he, just amazing. Verse 33. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. So just to take a quick peek here at the parenthesis, it's probably a parenthesis in your Bibles, but as in this parenthesis here, that that tells you something of Jesus' mind about the, the Old Testament. The scripture, he says, cannot be broken. So he's saying that, look, I'm, I'm pointing back to the Psalms. I think it was the Psalms. I'm pointing back to the Psalms in this passage, and I have an interpretation of the passage. I don't remember it right now, frankly. So sorry. Um we can talk about it a little later. It will probably come back to me. I want us to look, though, at particularly what Jesus says here. The scripture cannot be broken. That Old Testament scripture cannot be broken. What does he mean by that? It means that it's, it's always relevant, always binding, interpreted rightly, and without error. It cannot be broken. You cannot come and set it aside. You cannot put enough weight on it to break it. It will hold. That's his point. And it's an ability thing. This is where we get the idea of infallibility. It's a it's an inability to break it by any sort of opposition, scrutiny, anything. So it's not able saying, to be broken. So what you're saying is Jesus right there is telling them that the Old Testament cannot be broken. Yeah, the scripture, yeah. The scripture cannot be broken. And he does this to undergird his own his own deity and um and I just cannot remember back in I think it's Psalm 80 something 82 yeah i just i i can't remember but my purpose now is just to see Jesus's own perception again of the nature of scripture all right so second peter let's turn over there second peter in a very popular section all right second peter 1 Peter says, verse 16, We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter says, We have not followed cleverly devised tales. Peter and He says we, because he's speaking of himself, the apostles. They did not follow cleverly devised tales. They're not following myths and legends and things made up, fairy tales. They're not. And how do you know? Well, because they were eyewitnesses. Right. They didn't go around teaching, you know, the the some esoteric principles that are hanging out here in the clouds. He says, We're preaching history. That's what we're doing. We're eyewitnesses. What what we're preaching to you, we saw. That's what he's saying. We saw. It is absolutely rooted in historic space-time history. We were eyewitnesses and he says it's it's we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to the power and coming of our lord jesus christ right the power and coming probably is power revealed certainly in his own earthly ministry and his coming probably re- speaking of what's to come and it's grounded in what they've seen which was what verse 17 and he speaks here of the of the um Transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, he uttered such an utterance was this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Or maybe that no, this was yeah, this transfiguration. He also says that too at the baptism. Um and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So on the holy mountain, when Jesus is there transfigured before the apostles, God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. If you want to know what God thinks of Jesus, Jesus, God says, this is my son from heaven. If you want verification that Jesus genuinely is God's son, here's God telling you from heaven. And Peter says, and I heard it. And he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is what God says. And so Peter says, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so he's saying that Jesus here is the son of God. He's come in fulfillment of messianic psalms. And and the reason I say that is because the Davidic king was called the son. And there are all these texts in the Old Testament that deal with his sonship. And Jesus comes to fulfill all that. And, And all of that has relevance in Peter's mind because he moves to speak of the prophetic word. In other words, there's... Listen to what he says in verse 19. We have the prophetic word made more sure. In other words, you've got the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They are prophetic, right? And they speak of Jesus. We have this word even more sure. Why? Because we saw it being fulfilled. It's more sure now for us. More responsibility, more understanding, more light. More privilege now that we have because we saw the majestic glory or heard the majestic glory and saw the Son receive commendation and honor from the Father. So we have the prophetic word more sure. This is what the writer of Hebrews says too. The writer of Hebrews says, look, you've got an incredible amount of revelation. Therefore, you must pay even more close attention to it. Right? Lest you receive stricter condemnation if you neglect and drift away from it. So he comes at it sort of from a negative angle because the the Hebrews were drifting a little bit. But Peter is saying from a very positive angle, look, not only do we have the scriptures, which are enough, but we've also got the fulfillment of the scriptures. All that they were pointing to, we saw that. So we need to take heart and take courage in all these things. Brethren, what we believe is true. It's real. God broke in human history to say that. We don't just follow philosophies or the teachings of men. We follow, we follow the Lord who has done amazing things in space-time history to prove his word is true. And so Peter says, verse 19, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. So he's saying, until there's this breaking in of the dawn of the of the day, there's a new day coming. Right? There's a new day coming that will inaugurate a new era. And you pay attention to this word of God until that day. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, there's a sense in which it's kind of like streetlights versus the sun, right? Or you could say a flashlight. You get a flashlight out at night and you walk around and you go check this, go check that. For me, it's you go check, make sure the chicken coop's closed, right? And you take your flashlight and you go make sure it's closed. But when the sun comes out, I don't need, it. I put that flashlight away. And that's what he's saying here. He's like, the day is going to dawn one day. The day is going to dawn one day and you've got this word and it's it's the light that you've got and you've got it and you need to pay attention to it if you're not going to stumble and you're not going to fall and you're going to stay safe, pleasing to the Lord. You pay attention here. This is what you do. And you do so until that sun comes up, and and then we are changed, and we will be truly, in every sense of the word, living epistles. And so we do this. We pay attention to the prophetic word until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. There's this this change that will happen within us. And then he now he begins to speak about the nature of the scripture, the nature of the prophetic word. Verse twenty. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. For he, So he says, no prophecy of man, no, no prophet that ever spoke, beginning with Abraham all the way to Malachi, none of that was fabrications or man-made stuff. None of that was. No prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. But why, but how? Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word here, I think, moved is, is the word of, of a wind and a sail. You know, put the sail up, the wind moves your boat, moves you like this, right? So that's, that's the idea. These men were moved along in what they proclaimed by the Spirit. And he says that this is how we understand scripture. And he says that it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. What he means by that, I think, is that it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. Again, just implying the fact that what these prophets are saying, what the apostles are interpreting... These things are also are not man-made. The term here, interpretation, is used back in Genesis 40, where Joseph interpreted dreams. Um, In the same way Joseph took these dreams and interpreted them and applied them in a way that was binding, right, on Pharaoh, Um, the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament interpret and apply for us the revelations of God in history that all point to Christ. I think that's what he means. That these writers, and Peter, Peter lumps himself into the apostles in chapter 3. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But the prophets and in the, in the, in the apostles, they bring forward for us and record for us the acts of God, and they interpret them for us. And none of these interpretations that we have are a matter of one's own interpretation or man-made, or something like that. They are divinely inspired. So I think that's something of what's going on there. Um, so, But these are men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So when, when, the, when the writers are writing, when the writers were writing, they were carried along. When the spokesmen were speaking, they were carried along, all of it by the Spirit. That's the point, all right, um, now, a couple more here. Second Timothy three. this is a biggie, second Timothy three, okay, Paul here talking to Timothy, his pastoral protege, and he says this. Let's start in verse 14. You Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Right? Timothy, don't don't you don't need new stuff. Just continue in what you've already learned. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Continue what's already fixed and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that's Paul in one sense, but also He's learned that from his his uh, family back in the day too but he's he's saying you've you've learned this. continue on in that verse 15 and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now again, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. The, the scripture that exists at this point in history is primarily the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you read the Old Testament rightly. It leads you to faith in Messiah, who is Jesus. If you read it right. That's his, that's his point. And again, that's why the law was given, not as a ladder to heaven, but as a arrow to Jesus. So it gives you the wisdom... That leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So these sacred writings lead you there. These sacred writings, these holy scriptures. And then again, he wants to, to, to reiterate to Timothy the nature of scripture. The nature of these sacred writings. Well, what, what does he say about them? Well, he says, all scripture is inspired by God. He doesn't just say that scripture contains inspirations of God. He says all scripture is inspired by God. He doesn't say that all prophets are inspired by God. He says all scripture. So this is the writings themselves. The, 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 the ink on the paper that articulate that, that spell out words and sentences. This is when you think when you think writings, that's it. These sacred writings. All of that is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the writings themselves, he says. And you need to constantly be nourished on these things. You need to continue in them, he says. Now, just a word about the the, the term here for inspired. Not the best translation. Does the ESV say God breathed? Yeah, it's a better translation. It's the best translation. Inspired doesn't really work because um, you know, progressive Christians will say the Bible's inspired. They'll say it's inspired just the way just in the same way that a magazine about home remodeling is inspired. People are inspired to write about it. And so people are inspired to write things in the Bible. This term here, I think what they were trying to do is they're trying to they're trying to point out that it comes from a divine source that in some way, you know, inspires the the writings, but it just doesn't work. Inspirate means to breathe in, right? But you don't want to say expirate, right? You don't want to say they expired. (laughs) That would have bad connotations. So instead, they need to say God breathed, because that's what they are. They are breathed out from God. And again, I know I hammer it, it's the writings that are, not the men. We always talk about men inspired by God. That would be Peter's point. That's not Paul's point here. Paul's point here is the scriptures are God-breathed. The actual ink on the paper, what it says, that is what is God-breathed. So, any questions on that? that, Say it again. Say it it again now. I think you do. Oh, you do. I do. I do. I do. And, and if you, so I went into all this last week in the recording hour. I think you missed it. So if you go back and you watch Jesus say to the guys in John 14, Hey guys, I'm leaving. I know it's going to trouble you. Don't be troubled. I'm going to send the spirit. He's going to bring everything I said to remembrance. So I think that begins the logic of the foundation, which are the, new. and then you have real quick, let me just say this real quick as a trailer to the message you'll go listen to later. Verse 1 of chapter three, second Peter. This is now, beloved, Peter writing the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So Peter says, I know I'm writing to you, and I know it's going to stir you up, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior by your apostles. And Peter certainly had a self-conscious sense that he was an apostle. So I think that that, I think those two verses, I think they're underrated. I think they're pretty and pretty clear on prophets, apostles, same plane. So that's we could yeah we can go talk about it more. But listen to that message; it may it may help. You quoted uh, that was 2 Peter what three? three? Mm-hmm. So, but I but I think kind of what you're getting at, Yarrow, is what I also do want to say is that I think that he is not just saying law and prophets are inspired by God. I think he is saying, insofar as it is scripture, let me tell you the nature of it. It's God-breathed. Insofar as it's scripture, you know. Insofar as it's scripture, it is God-breathed. Certainly at this point in history, it applies to the Old Testament. But insofar as it's scripture, period, period. It is, it is God-breathed and profitable. It can do what it does because of what it is. It is God-breathed, and Paul says, "Is is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So because it's God-breathed, it comes from God's very own mind the omniscient, all-knowing mind of God, and he gives us exactly what he wants us to know about him and redemption in these pages. From here, we can be trained, taught, corrected, you know, all of these things because they all come from God's mind. We can be taught about who God is and what he's done. We can be corrected. We can be reproved. It can be corrected all manner of ways, doctrinally, ethically, morally. Um, It's all profitable. It can train us in righteousness. So this is, the reason we can do this is because it's God-breathed. And he says here, because it's God-breathed and profitable, it can train us, it can teach us, it makes us adequate. Adequate for what? Well, for every good work. Every work that God says that's good and that's pleasing to me. And keep in mind that this is specifically for Timothy as a pastoral model, as a pastoral, you know, protege of of Paul. Timothy, this makes, this is all you need for for, um, shepherding in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. This is what you need. And this is all you need. It makes you adequate. It makes you adequate. If we, if we didn't have a school of philosophy, if we didn't have the sciences, if we didn't have any of these things, the word of God alone would be enough. And honestly, in a lot of places in third world countries, that is all they have. We have the academy here. Isn't that great? No, it's not great much of the time. If you didn't have any of it, and all you had were the scriptures, you'd be completely sufficient to please the Lord. It is 100% sufficient. It is sufficient to make you equipped for every good work. To live your life. Yeah. So the question is, do we believe that as a church? Do we believe that it's the scriptures alone that we need? That's what we need. Yeah. You know? Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? <laughs> do we really believe that? We'll know that we do as we confront traditions, right? As we confront the way things have always been done, as we confront hot topic, hot topic issues in the culture, um, as we think through all manner of things. Will we truly hold to a sufficient, authoritative, clear, binding scriptural authority in this, in this book? That's ultimately what we need to be asking ourselves. Because we want to be equipped for every good work and pleasing to the Lord. And the way you do that is by, as Paul tells Timothy, continue in the things you've learned from the sacred writings. So these sacred writings must always be brought before us all the time. Paul, Peter says, look, I'm going I'm I'm to stir you up. Not by even there, he says, not by even giving you something new. I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Right? You need to be reminded. We need to be Reminded. Our, our sinfulness, the issues of life, they keep us distracted from time to time and we need to be reminded. And um, and these things can stir us up. So any other thoughts or questions on this? Again, this is all very cursory. may not feel that way. I promise you it is when you're discussing the doctrine of Scripture. You could spend a whole year on it easily because it's a wonderful topic, a deep topic. And one that has undergone many attacks. But are there any other questions or thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. And, And the fact that they are meant to be understood. I mean, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever to approach the scriptures as if they are obscure or if God doesn't expect us to understand them. It makes no sense. Everywhere you go in the scriptures, even in the place where Peter says some things Paul writes are hard to understand, even there, he says, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. We have no warrant to say, I don't get it. None. And especially here at New Covenant, none. We have so many resources at our fingertips and teachers here that can help you understand. As the writer of Hebrews says, don't be sluggish in your hearing. You ought to all be teachers by now. And we should be. You should all be able to open Bibles with your neighbors and tell them about Jesus. And I don't care who you are. You should all be able to do that. You should all be able to do that. You guys have been taught for years or even months enough to know. How to open your Bible and say, this is what Scripture says. Don't buy into the lie. Now, I know we're all at different different places to of explaining things. I'm not saying that each one is going to be able to start an exegetical study of Hebrews tomorrow. But what I am saying is that we all should be able to understand from the Bible who Jesus is, what he's done, and be able to tell others. right, And be able to instruct our own souls. No excuses. We live in a culture that, for all our technology, has made us... Lazy Bible readers, right? Or something like that. We just short attention spans and we don't soak it and we need to soak it. Gosh, you read Psalm 119 and it's embarrassing. You got to have the time. You got to make the time. You got to make the time. Yeah. Make the time to sit. When you, when you read Psalm 119 and you're seeing all that he says about the Bible, your word is this, your word is that, your word is this, your word is that, your word is this, your word is that, give me understanding, keep me in your word, don't let me drift away from your word. I mean, I don't even know how many verses. How many verses are in Psalm 119? Does anybody know? No, 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 no. We're talking almost 200, I think. 160 something. All about the Bible. It's all about the scriptures, the whole thing. And you're reading it and you're like, this guy's either a fanatic or he sees something I don't see. He's not a fanatic. Yeah, because he loves the law of God. And at that point in history, he probably only had the Torah. He probably only had five. We have 66 books. We should know this book. Yeah. Yeah. To hear, to be one mm-hmm. have yeah. To Absolutely. And Steve and I, hopefully, people know this by now that we are open books. We we don't have anything to hide. We don't think that we have every single little thing right, but we are convinced that the Bible's clear. And of course, this makes us look very arrogant in this culture, but I mean, I don't know what to say about that. Jesus rebukes these depressed disciples. Because they didn't grasp what the law and the prophets pointed to his death, burial, resurrection on the third day. And I'm just saying, we need to have Jesus' mindset and attitude toward the Bible. And so we are, Steve and I and other teachers, we're very open to anybody coming to talk to us about anything. You know, don't wait around to just wait, What you know, just talk to us. We're open. Um, so anyway, let me pray. and Then we'll go to worship. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, what a treasure it it truly is. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to value your word more than silver and gold. Um, truly, because it is far more valuable than silver and gold. Lord, these words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, Lord Jesus, but your words will not. And so, Lord, help us to remember that. And as we come together with your people, Lord, please just lift our minds and our hearts and our eyes To the Lord Christ, the Prince and Savior of our souls, in Jesus' name, amen.